as we're wrapping up our series of one thing, we're going to end up this week uh, with it's one thing about time is really what I want to talk about. And coming out of Philippians, a third chapter, uh, Paul makes this one statement, and we'll look at it in just a bit. I, I think we live in a world that is fixated on time. It's all about time. Everything deals with time. We count the days. We count the hours, the minutes, the seconds. We even count the, the milliseconds. I mean, we, we, we number the months, the years, the, the, the centuries, the millennia. Everything is about time and about counting. We, we, we even have a countdown for before we started our service this morning. You know, it was counting down the numbers, and all of a sudden, then Sean's supposed to show up and, and start off kicking things off. Time is really nothing new. As a matter of fact, it's been around a long, long, long time. It's always here when we begin to consider it. Measuring time, however, has become a fascination for people through the years, and they've come up with different ways in which they can measure time. Throughout history, they've, they've come up with so many different ways of keeping track of time. I want to share with you just a few examples. And we've got a, a picture up here with a variety of, of different ways in which mankind has determined what time it was. Let me run through a few of these. There, there's the clipsidra, which is a water clock. It's, it's unique. It's, it's right there with the elephant in the middle. And, and we go, what? That's interesting. But through the years, they've used this ability to use the weight of the water and gravity and so much water and drip through different things, or they would use a bowl and fill it, and then as it would empty through the day, it would begin to show the different times. This one in particular was recognized back in the 16th century B.C. is when we began to see the water clock to be used. All right, It's a unique example. Now, the one here with the, the elephant was invented back in the 12th century A.D. by a, a man by the name of Ishmael al-Jazari over in the Mideast. Then there was the, uh, the earliest sundial, which we understand to be known through archaeological records, was found in uh, Egypt and in Babylon around the 15th century B.C. And they tell the time of day when there is sunlight and the apparent position of the sun as it changes across the horizon, the shadow then is cast on different hour markings that are laid out. So you can know, at least during the daytime, what time it is. Then, then if there's no sun in the sky and it's dark out at night, then people would use moon dials or nocturnals that would base upon the revolution of the stars in the sky, and they'd be able to determine what time it was at night. There's also an hourglass or a sand glass that they, that they use it was a device used to measure the passage of time. It's composed of two glass bulbs in which would be filled with some form of material such as sand, and it would come together with this little funnel in between. And we still use them sometimes when you've got a board game or something, you flip it over, you know you got a minute or three minutes or whatever, the amount of time in capsule has been put in there. And so those have been used for a long, long time. The first time this actually is recognized, we see it coming about in the 8th century A.D. with a Franciscan monk who made, them, who made one. And it was very common during that time then to be used. About a thousand years ago, a sun watch was invented, and it's the one that looks like it's dangling on a pendant over in the far left corner. And, and how that one works, it's work, it works upon the two solstices, the winter solstice and the summer solstice. So it depends on which month that you're in. And, and then you would hold it straight up. And if it was the summertime, 
then you would turn with a little hole towards the sun and allow it to go in through the hole on that ring or that pendant. And then the little light would shine through and then you'd line it up with whatever month it was. So here at the end of May, we would put it over the month of May and then the light would then shine through and hit the time of day that it was. Interesting little ways that we figure these things out. Then we have the pendulum clock, like, like the, the, uh, the cuckoo clock there. Germany was famous for creating these pendulum clocks, and they were used for about 270 years. The first pendulum clock that we discovered was made by the name of Christian Huygens in 1658. And for nearly 300 years, about 270 years, it was a very common clock to be found everywhere. People would utilize that until the quartz clock came around, which we have today, which is mechanisms that spin and do all these different kinds of things. Now, there was also another type of clock, which I'd never seen, but it's also what they call an oil lamp clock. And it consisted of graduated glass reservoir that would hold oil within it, usually whale oil, and then they would, they would burn that in... And as the oil disappeared, it would also measure the hours of the day. And so you know how long it would take, all right? And so they would put the fuel in, and as that reservoir drops, it provided a way to measure time. Now, the principle behind such timekeeping devices is that they measure the quantity as it either increases or decreases or the sun setting and how it moves the shadows, and all those things come along. Burning fuel at a steady pace sometimes would fit the category. And like the oil lamp, there was also a bonus. You also got light. So a couple things out of it. All right. Now, in 1948, Something was invented by Harold Lyons called the atomic clock. And you see a picture of it up in the far left. The atomic clock is still something we use today. Matter of fact, this little clock here that I've got, this digital clock that I use to try and make sure that I don't go over too long, it's based upon the atomic clock. And so it sends out and receives these radio wave signals that measure up with the closest atomic clock to us. And so I know how things are. Now, one of the things about time is that some of these clocks weren't really perfectly accurate. You might know the hour, maybe the half hour might be around there, or they might get within to the, it might be off a second or two or a minute a year. Now the atomic clock, I want to share with you this, the atomic clock is probably the most precise clock, and they say that with the atomic clock, it uses this correct measurement of the seconds as the base of the modern timekeeping. The international system of units, SI as they refer to it, defines one second as the time it takes a cesium-133 atom at the ground state to oscillate exactly 9,192,631,770 times How do we measure that? <laughs> and as a result of that, the atomic clocks are designed to detect that frequency, and most of them today are using atomic fountains in a cloud. Now, they say that that time clock, atomic clock, will only deviate about one second in every 100 million years. I don't know if they've ever really measured that or not, but... <laughs> We are so fixated on time and everything about time. We, we, we like to watch our clocks, don't we? And we, we hate it when somebody else is, is causing us to, to, to be late. 
because we've got to go. We've got to get going. We can't wait for the, the clock to, to hit and the bell to ring because work is over and we're out of here, right? All these different things are happening about time. How many of you woke up with an alarm clock today? Why? Time. You didn't want to be late for this wonderful message, did you? Well, uh, yeah. Some of you probably set your clocks later than that, so you don't have to be here, so you can watch online. So we're glad to have you joining us today. All right, now, we live in such a fast-paced world today. Production-type lines of, of things at Lifestyle. We, we want things to be turned out quickly and orderly and, and keep the same quality. We go for fast food, we go for quick fix, expressways, prompt surface, rapid transit, instant noodles, and Jiffy Lube, Right? We like things now. We are a microwave society. If it was possible, we want to invent a shortcut to anything and everything. How about your spiritual life? Wouldn't it be great that all of a sudden you are a mature Christian? Amen. <laughs> and we want to mass-produce disciples of Christ to change this world. Do we have enough time? We know that relationships take time. Building trust takes time. Jesus speaks of our spiritual life, however, in agricultural terms. So you listen to his parables, and, and he's throwing out, rather than an atomic time clock on how long it's going to take for you to get to where you need to be, he, he throws it out in these explanations of agriculture, such as the vine and the branch. It takes a while for that that branch to grow off the vine, doesn't it? He talks about the tree and its fruit, the seed and its crops. It cannot be rushed. There is no shortcut to it. Nothing a farmer can do to speed up the day of harvest. It just doesn't happen. So you've got to wait. You've got to be patient. And patience is something we all have, right? Uh, I think we struggle with that, at least I do at times. So a discipling life, a mentoring life, mentoring maybe a, a, a child uh, as a parent, all these different things, they take time, and there, there is no overnight magical sprouting of children that all of a sudden, you know, that they're there. I, when we first had a, a child years ago, my thought was, I'd like him to come walking and talking with a, with a part-time job. That did not happen. All right? <laughs> we can't wait for them, you know, to, to learn to sit up on their own, and then to crawl, and then to walk, and to run, and then we want them to stop. <laughs> Why? Because they're going up so fast. And then we say that all the time. My going, you're growing up so fast. But really, it's time. And we've got to be patient with things. So I want us to learn a few things this morning about time. And maybe we'll look at some passages of Scripture that teaches us to learn how to be patient with our time. Because after all, God is. So the first thing I think we need to understand, we need to learn to trust God's timing. God has a different view of, of, than ours about time. He, and Jesus even says, he knows when my hour has not yet come, mother, right? Just pay attention to whatever he says to do, do it, and so go get whatever he says. Mom, I'm, don't, I'm, it's not yet time. 
but he does anyway. And in John 17, 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. It's time. And his timing is always perfect. Time works for him, not against him. And you wonder why Jesus entered into this world at the time in which he did? It was the perfect time for the world to truly understand. Why didn't he wait till 2021? And yet we sit and we wait for his return, don't we? We tend to view time as working against us. We say, well, there's just not enough time in the day. We're, we're running out of time right now. Time is not on our side. All these phrases that we use. Our next thing, our text this morning, I want us to look at, comes from Second Peter, actually, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And as Peter is writing out this day, he's talking about the day of the Lord and everything. But I just want to take this little brief section out of here. In verse 8 and 9, he says, But do not overlook this one fact, this one thing, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And that's always been confusing to me. The day of the Lord is, a day for the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. That, how can that even happen? Because we have to understand that God is outside of this time component. He created time for us. Time has not always been there. There was a time when there was no time until God created it. And He created it by the stars and the sun and the moon and the rotation of our world so that we understand the, the daily cycles and the weeks and the months and the years and all that goes with it, but that was created. So before time began, God was there. The New Testament uses two Greek words for time. One is called chronos. We know about that chronology. All right, That determines length. Another word is kairos, which indicates the right moment. All right, so you've got two different understandings. One would be really the, the chronology would be we, we mark it by our minutes, our days, our seconds, our years, or whatever it is. And the kairos is recognized in a moment of time, in an era. And, and so there's a little bit of difference. Both are in God's hands for how long and at what time. We need to be patient because God... He really is on our side. And, and so when we think about that, we've heard the phrase that God makes everything beautiful in its time. He truly does. Let's look at Israel's experience in the book of Numbers, chapter 9. Back in the Old Testament, they are wandering through the, the wilderness. But I want you to see how God interacted with them 
and told them when it's time to, to set up camp and when it's time to set out and go someplace new. And so we, we begin with verse 15 of Numbers chapter 9. And this is how God would mark the moments in which they would do things. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. Now, let me indicate this. God's presence was in the cloud. So there was a cloud that they followed by day, or there was a fire by night. And so they knew when they needed to move and, and all this. So this, this cloud came down over the tent in which Moses would reside. And so they knew when the cloud was there, all right, God's presence is here. And so he begins by saying, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. At evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it, always, so it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel, they set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes, the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time, that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses." They were guided when it's time to get up and move. And they were, they were told to stay as long as that cloud just settled there. And, and they had time. Once the cloud was lifting, they'd have time to gather up their stuff, pack up their tents, and here we go again. And they would travel wherever that cloud would go, and then it would stop. And once it stopped in an area, they say, okay. So they start setting up camp, and they'd stay there. Sometimes it was just overnight. Other times it was through the day. Other times it might be a couple days or a month or a year. But as long as God moved them in those ways, they followed His timing on things. Wouldn't it be great if we just had to follow God's timing? And He let us know by maybe putting a cloud up. And when it, when it rose up in the morning, it started to head out. Let's follow it. Where are we going? Oh, we're going to church today. Okay. And it settles down. I mean, think about it. What an amazing experience that they had to have had to be able to see and move at God's pace. After all, remember, His timing is perfect. The second thing I think we need to discover is this, that we need to take the time to see everything. Man, we, 
we just, if we're going to head out to Colorado, we just get in our car and we go, you know? And we don't take the time to see that big ball of yarn. We don't take the time to see the big prairie dog. We don't take the, because we're in a hurry. We're going to get to the end of wherever it is we need to be, right? And we miss so many things. We now put ourselves in planes, and we can fly from one end of the country to the other in about three hours, and we go, wow, that was fast. But you missed everything. We need to take the time to see everything. We're impatient because we're afraid that things will be messed up if we don't hurry. We might miss something. And we've, we've, besides, we have more important things yet to do when we get there. And so we've got an agenda. We've got a time schedule that we need to keep. And we're impatient because we expect God to act according to our timetable. We want him to do our plans. Now, we've, we've used Mary and Martha quite a bit the last few weeks in talking about them. In, in John chapter 11, they come into the picture again. And, and, and so Mary and Martha, and, and we find Martha outside of her house waiting for Jesus. And she's a little, you can almost see her just tapping her foot. Maybe watching at her watch. Where is he? What's he getting here? And so finally he comes. He's late. Not, not just late. He is, he's too late. Because her brother is dead. When he finally arrives, she confronts him even before he gets into the house. And she says to him basically, why are you so late? You know, if, you, if you'd have realized that you could have been here earlier, maybe my brother Lazarus would still be alive. But you're late. Even his disciples were saying, hey, don't you think we ought to get back over to Lazarus' house because we heard he's pretty sick? And Jesus says, no, let's take some time. And they knew he was dying. But the real purpose was not his death. The purpose was he would die so that God could reveal his power in bringing him back to life. Martha had a plan in mind. Get Jesus here before Lazarus dies. Jesus had another plan in mind. And he demonstrated the power of God Almighty. But he's been a little bit patient and waiting. Again, let's look at it, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. As we look at that passage of Scripture, it says there in verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Hmm. But he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, if you understand his purpose, if, if, you, if you get what he's wanting, if you can just see the way he sees everything, the, the big picture, it's more amazing. And then you're not so as impatient with God because you know why he's waiting on things. And in our vastly limited vision, God seems slow at times. But in reality, he's keeping perfect timing. Even more perfect than the atomic clock that we've got. Martha, 
and Mary got to see firsthand when Lazarus walked out of the tomb that sometimes God's delays are not necessarily God's denials of what they want. They wanted Lazarus to live. Boy, he's alive again, isn't he? God just does things a little bit differently in his time. There's always a higher purpose. And we're told in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 that God waited patiently in the days of Noah, in the time of Noah. Why? Because those eight people that he was going to save, he needed to have them build this ark. And it was going to take them quite a while to do it because nobody really was wanting to help them. And they were just laughing and ridiculing them. And so he waited. He waited till the ark was finished. And he waited till all the animals were on board and Noah and his family were in. And then the scripture tells us there in Genesis that God then closed the door in his time. An artist went to go visit an old friend and he saw her, her crying. She had just ruined a beautiful handkerchief that meant a lot to her because somebody who had given it to her and she'd spilled some ink on it. And so now there's this ink blot there. And so her friend asked her to let him have the handkerchief for just a, a little while and, and he would give it back to her. A few days later, he mailed it back to her. And when she opened the package, here was that handkerchief that had that ink blot on it. But the artist had painted on it and drawn on it beautiful. And, and used that, that ink spot as a foundation to start to create something. And so now it was more beautiful to her than it had, it had been before. And so the value of this little piece of cloth just increased. Sometimes the thing that breaks our heart becomes the basis for more beautiful outcome in our lives. But it takes time. So we need to be patient with the setbacks, which really we have no control over at all. We can't make the clock go faster or slower. It doesn't matter. But in God's hand, it can be turned into something that is wonderful. Again, in His time. The third thing I think we need to do is this. We need to learn to use our time wisely. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> use your time wisely, son. We need to maintain a positive attitude and a, and a trust of God. Patience is not the ability to wait, but it's the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. Did you hear that? Patience is not the ability to wait, but it is the ability to keep a good attitude while you're waiting. We're all going to wait, but how we take that internally is going to be the difference. We have to also understand that the waiting is not a waste of time. Because a lot can take place in those moments we saw that in the lives of, of Joseph and Moses and David. Joseph, you remember, he was put into prison. He spent some years in prison. Matter of fact, after he had, had foretold the, the visions of what the, the, the butcher and the baker had, or not the butcher, the butler and the baker, 
the butcher, the baker, the candleman, you're right? Yeah, we, we, get, we get it. But the butler and the baker, and after, after he had been released, two years later, he says, oh, yeah, I remember a guy back in prison. But Joseph had to endure and he had to wait patiently for God because in the timing of that event, now God was going to use it for something unique something different and something powerful that was not only going to save his life, but was going to save the lives of his family and eventually be able to allow Jesus Christ to come into this world because of his patience in prison. Maybe it looked like God had forgotten about him, but the truth is, in the time that he was waiting, God was working on others. Because he was also putting a little famine over in that land of Israel. Going to have to drive the brothers out to come and find some help. Because there was no way they would have gone to Egypt. But it takes time for a famine to really impact a community, doesn't it? It's not an overnight thing. we got enough stuff. Some of us are survivalists, right? We can last for three years. patience and use the time wisely. Moses, my goodness, think about Moses. He spent 40 years of seclusion out in the Midianite desert taking care of his father-in-law's sheep until that little burning bush on the mountainside appeared. And then finally, he's going to go. David, he's going to fight this giant named Goliath. He's going to go before him And he's got this intimate knowledge of of God. When you listen to how he comes out, you come against me with your sword and your words and all this stuff, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, God Almighty. During David's childhood as he's growing up, he's the youngest of seven brothers, and they kind of put him out in the field watching the sheep because it's, it's his job. So he's got to be out there. Throughout that time, what's he doing? He's got that little sling, and he can pick up rocks, and he can practice, and he's throwing at that thing, and he's throwing at that thing. And here comes a lion, and he can kill the lion now because he's fast enough and he's accurate enough. Here comes a bear, and he can kill the bear. Now, as the time has gone by, and all that time of preparation, out in his seclusion, out there taking care of the father-in-law, his father's sheep by himself, learning how to use the tools of his trade, and trusting in God for all things, now he can walk down that valley, pick up five stones with his sling, and face a man that's nearly nine feet tall that has an armor that's unbelievable. And with one stone... But it took time for him to develop that skill, didn't it? He used his time wisely. We need to as well. You see, wasted time sometimes can become preparation time for something better. The waiting room actually becomes the classroom for us, doesn't it? And we can learn. So let's focus on our walk with God rather than the answer that he's going to give because we know he's going to answer our prayers, right? But sometimes it's going to be, "Mm, not yet. (laughs) Wait a little bit. But we want it now. 
We need to focus on our relationship with God and, and rather than the result that, that God is going to give, but it's going to take time. A boy realized that God had made him fast, and so he wanted to have a race to prove to everybody how fast he was and so in his village. So he gathered the people who wanted to race him in the village, and they put out the race, and of course, he, he, he beat them all. And, and, and the people just clapped and, and were in awe of how fast he was, and it made him feel pretty good. And so he wanted to have another race, and so he did. He got people from even beyond his village to some of the other places, the communities. They came in, and they would send their fastest runners, and he would race them. And, and again, he beat them all, and everybody just gave him the accolades for how fast he was. But a wise man who had been watching him and how he raced and how he received the applause of man, he organized a third race for the boy. And in this race, he got two competitors only. One was a blind man and the other was an older lady. They put him at the start race. Once again, that boy left, and he was at the finish line before they really even seemed like they left the starting blocks. And, and, but nobody applauded. And, and the boy was wondering, why? So he went to the wise man, and he asked him, he said, why, why weren't they uh, applauding when I, when I won the race? He said, I want you to race again, but this time. I want you to hold their hands and take them with you across that race line so you all three finish. And he did. And the crowd cheered and applauded. And the boy asked, he says, I don't understand. Which one of us were they cheering for? Who won? The man said, young boy, for this race... You've won much more than any other race that you have ever ran before. For this race, the crowd cheered not for any winner, but they cheered for the relationship. Winning is not everything. We don't need to be the quickest, the fastest. We don't need to be first. We're supposed to run as if we're going to win the race. Paul tells us. But that causes us to finish. We need to finish strong. There are two voices I think that speak inside of us. One encourages us to succeed and achieve while the other calls us to simply just stop and rest in the comfort of Christ. And to know that we are loved by Him no matter what time of day it is. We need to listen more to that second voice that tells us to be patient. God is still working in us. He's still working in your family, in your friends, in, in the, the relationships that you have, in, your, in the ministry of this church. He's still doing things, but it's not so rapid that we... Just have it go by too fast. We need to be patient. Have you ever asked or, or trusted the Lord for something and you fully expected that He's going to give it to you, but instead the response that you receive from Him is just to be patient? Patient. 
Sometimes I'm not patient. I've had to learn that. I mean, truth is you don't want to be patient for the Lord to bless or to deliver you or to at least you know, not patient as, as long as the duration of time. We want our responses now. But when we look at the fruit of the Spirit in, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, we discover that that aspect of time in patience is one of the fruit that the Spirit of God grows in us over time. I mean, you don't surrender to the Lord, be buried in baptism, come up, and all of a sudden you've got all these fruits that are popping off of you in the character traits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Hey, look at me, I'm perfect. No, that it takes time for the rough edges to be worn off and for the fruit to really grow and become ripe in your life. I really don't care what age you are, what generation you come from, whether you're those traditionalists, the baby boomers, the generation X, to millennials, or whatever they're calling the new ones today. If you're living today, you have surrendered yourself really to a microwave society. You know, I've got a microwave in our house, and boy, it's quick. I can put things in for 30 seconds, and they're heated up, you know? I started last night about 9 o'clock with a brisket on my smoker. And it's been going all night long. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so this morning at 6 o'clock, I, I covered it and put it back in. Up the temperature a little bit. You know, I'll get home from church today. And you're all going, oh, I'm hungry now. I'll get home from church today and I'll take it out and I'll wrap it in a towel and put it in a cooler. All right, and this thing's gonna this thing's gonna go all the way into we're ready to eat dinner tonight, nice and slow, right? But I'm I'm watering at the mouth for it. Why can't we do something quick and fast? Why can't that brisket be done in a minute? Because it won't taste the same. Many years ago. <laughs> I began talking about the Lord. You know, I used to pray for him to give me patience, and he gave me children. <laughs> no, 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 God, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted patience. <laughs> no, 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 this is what you need. <laughs> uh, you, you've been there. We have to learn because it takes time, doesn't it? Most people don't like to wait. We often get frustrated when we have to wait in a line at the grocery store or when we get behind a car that's going really slow down the highway and they're doing 35 and a 55. And, you know, come on. All right? The hurriedness often works its way into our spiritual lives as well, unfortunately. And it causes us to rush into the next thing before waiting on God to do something in us right now. While most of us feel like we need to rush, God's not in a hurry. And that's what Peter is telling us. You know, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And he's not slow, as some of you understand slowness. What is he? He's patient. Why? Not wanting any one of us to perish, but that we might come to repentance. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, the prophet says, For still the vision awaits its appointed 
time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. There's an appointed time for all things. The preacher in Ecclesiastes understood that, chapter 3. James writes to us his letter in, in, in the first chapter, verses 2, 3, and 4. He, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops steadfastness or patience. And that steadfastness have its full effect that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You're going to go through struggles in this world. Just face it. And he's going to take you through those things. Why? Because they're actually being used to help make you perfect. So you don't lack in any area that God has appointed for you to develop. Okay. My time's up. Yet, it appears that God's still waiting, doesn't it? Maybe he's waiting for you to make a decision for him. Maybe that you need to be the one that says, okay, I need to repent now. This is your time. This is your opportunity. And I'll tell you what, I'm very thankful that God has waited. Because had he not waited, maybe I may not know him well. Maybe you may not be here. But he is patient. Because maybe there's someone, if it's not you, there's someone he loves that you love, but they've not yet accepted a relationship with his son Jesus. I can be patient a little longer too. How about you? Let's stand together.